We're going to look uh, this morning at Second uh, Timothy chapter 2. We're continuing um, from uh, what we were looking at uh, uh, last week. So if you've got your Bibles, please uh, turn with me um, to 2 Timothy 2. And we're going to read the first 13 verses. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, Anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask that as, we, as we're instructed to reflect on these words, Lord, that uh, you would give us the insight that you promised. Lord, uh, show us what you want to say to us this morning through this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder how you feel about getting invitations. How do you decide what to accept and what to uh, um, maybe turn down? You know, sometimes you might get an invitation and you think, oh, well, I don't really fancy that. And you think of all kinds of excuses, uh, why not to go there? Others, you might be really excited about uh, um, receiving them and respond with a, uh, a sense of real joy. Others, you might say, well... Oh, I really ought to go, and you kind of go as a, a sense of duty. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you've uh, personally got your invitation to the coronation. I've yet to decide whether or not we accept this. But uh, um, you know, I was reflecting on uh, um, the fact that I don't know if you've read on the, on the BBC um, uh, uh, this morning that as part of the service the nation will be invited to join in a Pledge of Allegiance to, uh, to the King. And to also um, pray what I, I thought was quite strange words, that they, uh, long live the King, that's fine, but may the King live forever. I thought that was a little bit strange. And, you know, I don't know quite how I feel about that particular invitation. I'm going to reflect carefully on that and see, well, what is our call as, as Christians you know, when we're called to serve uh, God as our, as our king. I'm not sure. I'll leave that to you to reflect. 
But in today's um, passage, um, Paul gives Timothy rather a strange invitation in that he invites him to join with him in his suffering. That's the kind of invitation you might get and you think, well, that's not one I really want to accept. Bearing in mind that Paul here is in chains, in prison. He's probably undergone all kinds of uh, um, uh, you know, hardships, perhaps even torture. And here's Paul saying to Timothy, join me <laughs> in my suffering. And, um, you know, especially, and spoiler here, if you look ahead to chapter 3, when Paul warns that there's all kinds of trouble uh, um, uh, coming in the future, you know, is that really the kind of thing we want to be engaging with? But Paul tells Timothy, do you know what? Obedience, joining in this kind of suffering, is the mark of a good Christian soldier. And he didn't just tell Timothy this, because if, uh, if you look at the letter to the Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians, 1, uh, 29, uh, Paul writes here, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And Paul goes on to give three illustrations um, of, uh, as Sam has mentioned already, um, of, the, of the soldier, of the athlete and the farmer, and he tells us to reflect carefully on these. So this is clearly something we need to take note of, even though we might not like the, uh, the thought of an invitation to join Paul in his suffering. So we're going to reflect on what might be meant by this suffering and how, as followers of Christ, we're to um, respond to this particular invitation. So I thought I would start our reflections by uh, looking at, well, you know, what is suffering and, uh, you know, what is our calling in this respect? And there are different definitions of suffering in, uh, in the dictionary. Um, it means to undergo pain, distress or hardship. I guess we're pretty familiar with that. And no doubt that's what Paul was going through in prison. It can also mean to endure or to tolerate or to bear. And probably both of those descriptions um, fit what Paul is talking about here. But let's kind of wind back a little bit and try and understand, well, why is there suffering? And I guess this is a topic we could discuss at great length and still not get to a, a clear answer on it. I guess a very simple answer would be, well, you know, God's good, very good creation suffers from a curse that came as a result of man's disobedience in the Garden of Eden. That's the simple thing. You know, there was a curse play, uh, placed on creation, and since that time, things have been hard. Um, there's been, uh, you know, trials and tribulations simply because of our disobedience. Some face it more than others. So, and we face it in very diverse ways. You know, suffering for one person is, is quite different from, from another. But surely this invitation that Paul gives to Timothy is more than just enduring the, the world, right? Because we all have to live in the world. We have no choice about that. One of the most helpful books that I've read recently on the, this whole topic is by a guy called Pete Grieg. Uh, and it's a book called God on Mute. I don't know if uh, any of you have come across it. There's an associated study course um, on unanswered prayer. And, uh, you know, I, I found this really helpful. I would I really recommend it to you. And for me, this whole topic of unanswered prayer and suffering, they kind of go hand in hand. 
Because if God always answered prayers the way we hoped he would, there would be no suffering, would there? You know, if somebody got sick and we prayed to God, um, please heal that person, and they got well, God always answered the way we wanted it, that suffering would disappear. Yeah, there would be none. But it doesn't work like that. Sometimes God does intervene, but sometimes he doesn't. And we all have to journey through this fallen world. And Pete Grieg, in his book, um, outlines three reasons for unanswered prayer. And they are, in uh, no particular order, God's war, God's world, and God's will. God's war, God's world, and God's will. And I'm going to use those three examples, because I think they tie quite neatly into the three examples that Paul gives to Timothy about how he is to endure suffering. So let's start with God's war. Paul's letter to Ephesians, Ephesians 6, tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and forces of the spiritual realm. In this fallen world, we are in a battle against Satan. Satan is waging war against God's creation and specifically against his people. It's a war for our minds, our time, our well-being and our faith. It may not be like the kind of wars that we unfortunately see in in the Ukraine or in in Sudan. It's a a more subtle war waging um, for our, our very lives. And as good soldiers of Christ, we will face opposition. Again, not always the kind of opposition we might be familiar with in terms of uh, military conflict. But opposition that is linked to discipline and focus. And Paul instructs Timothy to be a good soldier, not to be a good fighter, but, interesting words, don't get entangled in civilian affairs. This uh, uh, image of a guardsman outside Buckingham Palace. Losing our mic here. Do I need to switch? Are you okay? Start again. I think we better use that. Are we on? Yeah, great. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen a guardsman outside Buckingham Palace. They stand there stock still just totally focused on what they're doing. And uh, I have to admit that uh, I've seen people, when I've been down in London, deliberately trying to uh, 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 distract these guardsmen, trying to make them laugh, um, dancing around in front of them. But a good guardsman just stands there, stock still, until he's relieved of his duty. They're oblivious to what's going on. And for me, this is the kind of uh, um, you know, focus that uh, Paul is calling Timothy to. You know, don't get distracted by um, things around us in the civilian world. And in reflecting on that, what are some of the things perhaps that could distract us as uh, soldiers in uh, God's army? Perhaps we're too busy. Too busy to study, too busy to pray, uh, involved with other things that take us away from sharing fellowship with other, others. We have um, different priorities. Perhaps we're nervous about speaking about the gospel. Perhaps we're observing teachings and philosophies that would draw us away from a true understanding of what God wants to, uh, uh, to relate to him over. 
You know, as a good soldier of Christ, often we have to make sacrifices. There might well be suffering, but we have a calling to be faithful to our commanding officer. As John Stott puts it in his book, Guard the Gospel, he says, never mind what other people may be thinking of or saying or doing. Never mind how weak and shy you yourself may feel. As for you, be strong. So in God's war, we need to uh, be focused, be clear on where we're going to stand. Then secondly, God's world. I've aligned this to the picture of the the athlete because Paul talks about um, competing according to rules. And you know, God has designed this universe um, with wonderfully balanced laws of physics, biology, and chemistry. The whole thing hangs together beautifully, doesn't it? It it does so in a way that we can um, trust what's around us. You know, I know that uh, um, the floor is going to uh, um, support my weight. It's not just going to uh, suddenly collapse, or at least I hope not, um, unless I stamp too far. You know, I can flick a light switch on, confident that, uh, you know, the electricity will flow and the the light will uh, um, illuminate. These laws are designed to bring us certainty, to bring us safety. But those laws also, in a fallen world, can be the source of suffering. You know, the law of gravity is great, but if I fall over and I'm subject to the law of gravity and hit that same floor that I have confidence in standing on, I could hurt myself. If the light switch is broken and I touch the bare wires behind it, I can electrocute myself. It's the same laws at play. And we have very little choice in following those physical laws. We all live in this world. But God has also created the world with a set of moral laws. And these laws we do have a choice over. To successfully run the race, as Paul uses this analogy of the athletes, we need to compete according to those moral rules and laws. And although under grace we don't have to be legalistic about it, nevertheless, God's laws are God's laws and we um, disobey them at our peril. You see, when we dismiss God's commands and decide that we know better about things, that's when things start to go wrong. That's why creation fell in the first place. Man thought he knew better. And that's why Timothy urges Paul to entrust his words to reliable people who will ensure that the truths of the gospel are faithfully handed down, a bit like a good relay team passing on the baton to the next one. Now, uh, I said before about not uh, being legalistic about it, and that's really important. You know, we mustn't be uh, legalistic. But Jesus did sum up the laws um, that we need to uh, compete to, as it were, in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. I think it's fair to say that if we all lived according to those rules, the world would be a better place, wouldn't it? let's reflect on what it means to adhere to God's laws as we run the race. Then thirdly, and perhaps uh, one of the most uh, challenging to understand is, is that of God's will. Pete Greig in his book says that uh, you know, sometimes God intervenes directly 
um, in situations. It could be to temporarily override the laws of nature, those physical laws I've been talking about, by performing a miracle. You know, Jesus performed miracles that were totally against the laws of nature. He walked on water. It's not normally possible to do that. Water won't support us. He turned water into wine. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. God definitely intervenes um, uh, directly in certain situations. But sometimes God intervenes um, to, uh, uh, to test us or to refine us, to prune us. He gives us a, that time of uh, pruning, as it were, to strengthen us, to strengthen our faith. And Paul himself was sent what he described as a thorn in his flesh um, and would not, despite Paul's pleas, take that away from him. Perhaps this was to keep him from becoming proud in what he was doing. So being in God's will can be both a direct and indirect cause of suffering. It's really important to stress that that's not because God is a vindictive God and wants to see us suffer. Absolutely not. Quite the opposite. God himself endured the ultimate suffering so that we wouldn't have to go through that. He endured the suffering and punishment of uh, sins. No, so it's not about um, some kind of uh, vindictive act. Paul tells us in verse 10, he says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The reason that Paul is going through that suffering is for the benefit of the gospel, to allow the good news to be spread. And that's why we need to go through um, that good soldier, that good athlete, that good farmer. You know, it's certainly God's will that we will be hard-working um, followers, ones that bear fruit. Jesus himself reminded us that the harvest is great, but the workers are few. And we're told, again in Paul's letter to Philippians, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Just to be clear, we're saved by grace and grace alone. But we live by faith and works. They go hand in hand. We're saved by grace and grace alone, but we must live by faith and works. So let's go back to that invitation that Paul gave to Timothy to join him in his suffering. Again, it's not a particularly compelling invitation, and you may be thinking that, well, that's not really what I kind of signed up for as a follower of Christ. But there's one further really important point to reflect on. If we go back to verse 1, we see that Paul reminds Timothy that he's not alone in this. We should be strong not in our own capabilities, not in what we can do ourselves, but what in the grace of, uh, that is in Jesus Christ. On our own, we're likely to get distracted by affairs of the world. We're likely to lose that focus. We will drop the ball or the baton and we will break the rules will not always bear good, healthy fruit. And yet we can be strong in the grace that Jesus offers because of his sacrifice. Where we fail, he didn't. He gives us the right to claim his victory. Where we're weak, he is strong. 
And that leads us on to Paul's trustworthy saying at the end of this passage. Where he says, if we died with him, that's past tense, if we put our old self to death, um, then we will live uh, with him. Whatever. If we run the race to completion, then we will reign with him. Even if we fail, he remains faithful. And if he lives in us, he will never disown us. So we may live in a fallen world and inevitably we will suffer some kind of suffering uh, as our journey uh, progresses through it. But we should do as Paul instructs, remain strong in the grace of Jesus. Just in closing, I would like to show you a a video. Um, It's one that I've um, shown before, probably one that you're very familiar with, but I think it really demonstrates the Father heart of God and how he supports us through our our suffering, no matter what. It's a a clip from the 1992 Barcelona Olympics, the 400-meter race with Derek Redmond. Some of you may remember this. Let's watch it. Thanks. He was an athlete who'd put in years of hard work and training. Put in loads of sacrifice to get to this point where he could compete in the Olympic Games. Only for his dreams to come crashing down as he pulled his hamstring. But just to the point where he was weak and suffering, his father, that was his father that came out to uh, lift him up. He didn't take away his suffering but he gave him the strength he needed to finish the race. There were those race officials that were crowding in, I don't even notice, to try and distract him. But nothing would distract him. Nothing from the uh, civilian world, as it were, would come in and cause that distraction from pressing on to finish the race, to reach that finish line. So let's be strong in the grace of Christ, pressing on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called us heavenward.
in Christ Jesus. Amen.